Thank you, Kelsey. We love a good story, don't we? Think of your favorite movie. Think of your favorite show. Think of your favorite book. And then just be happy that I decided that for those of you that are a little more introverted, I wasn't going to do what I originally was going to do, which was going to make you turn to the person to your right and tell them your favorite book or your favorite movie or your favorite story. I figured our little break in the middle was enough for you to be able to greet one another. But think about those. Why, why do we like them? Now, there's many reasons that they become our favorite, right? But in a nutshell, it was because it was a compelling story. Whatever it was, whatever the book, the movie, the TV show, it's a compelling story, and that's why it became your favorite. As we start this first book of the Bible, I want to remind you that the entire Bible is a compelling story. It's a compelling story with narratives and poetry and wisdom literature and prophets and gospels and epistles. And when my boys were young, their favorite of all, there's apocalyptic literature in the book of Revelation. Moms and dads, if you want your young guys to get into the Word and read the Bible, give them Revelation, man. They love that stuff. They feel like they're reading a video game or something. But all of that's in there. And there are all these different genres written by 35 to 40 different authors over the span of about 1,500 years. But the one thing about it all that we want to keep emphasizing and what this series is all about is all of that happens with one single thread, one central theme, one purpose and focus to show us God's redemptive plan that was fulfilled through Jesus. That's what this is all about. But we want to help the Old Testament to come alive to us and the whole thread all the way through the New Testament to see those important places where it is telling us about how God's redemptive plan is unfolding. So we're going to start first with Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, where we're going to look at God's promise, a promise that God makes to a man named Abram. Now, you have to remember, at this point in the story, his name is Abram. Um, they will change to Abraham, so I might slip back and forth between Abram and Abraham while I'm preaching today. But this is the time when his name is still Abram, and this is what Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred, and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The promise is that he'll make him into a great nation, that Abraham would be blessed and we just look at what the text says. We're just going to pull these out of the text. Abraham was going to be blessed. He was going to become a great nation. His name would be great. Here we are all these years later. And if you have grown up in the Christian faith, you'll know the name Abram and Abraham, the father of the faith, they will often say. And he was told that those who bless him would be blessed. Those who dishonor him, they would be cursed. And then it says, and this is a very important piece that will be a, a thread that we need to see often because the people of Israel will fail at this often, but he would be a blessing to all the families of the earth. It was always intended from the beginning that God's people would be a blessing to the earth. But the, goal, the struggle and all the things that we come in, that we wrestle with, we're going to see how Jesus is the one who helps us with this. But from the very beginning, 
Abram was supposed to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. The goal, the purpose of calling this one, why God calls Abram out from among all the peoples of the earth was to bless him and then for him to be a blessing and, to, and for God to bless the whole world through him and through his offspring, which was going to become this great nation. And what's interesting in verse 4, it tells us that Abram went and did what God told him to do. Abram obeyed this. So just, you know, again, I want you to remember, especially in the narratives, these are real people and real history. Put yourself in their shoes, and God shows up to you. Let's just put you in your context in Duluth, Minnesota. And God says, go and go this place and leave your country and leave your family and leave your father's house, and I'm going to show you where to go. Really? You're not going to tell me where to go? Not yet, I'm just going to, I'm going to show you. And I'll make you a great nation. Can you imagine hearing that and going, I'm just this little guy over here. I don't even have a family yet. I'm married, no kids. And you're going to make me into a great nation? I'm going to bless you? And you're going to be a blessing? And Abram says, okay, here I go. And so in the first part of this story, we see God uh, making this declaration, this promise, and we're going to call them covenants. Covenants are just promises. And he makes this great promise to Abram. And Abram hears it all. And again, put yourself in his shoes and you're like, wow, this is pretty overwhelming and pretty big and pretty amazing. And so he packs up and he obeys. And he did what the Lord told him. Fast forward just a few verses, and we're going to get to Genesis chapter 15. And now this promise, he's going to make it again. So he's made this promise. This is what it's going to look like, Abram. Abram says, okay, I'll be obedient, and I'm going to go do it. And now that gets a, a, a depth to it that goes even deeper. And this is Genesis chapter 15, and we're going to unpack that a little bit to see the depth of it. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Now he's getting a vision says, fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. The first thing God says to him is, don't be afraid. Fear not. Why? Why not be afraid? I'm asking you to leave your kinsmen. I'm asking you to leave your, your place, and you're going to go out essentially into the wilderness, into unknown territories. You're going to run into unknown people, and they're not going to be really all that happy that you're coming into their space and into their territory so go do this. He obeys and goes and does it. Now God's going to meet him again. He says, don't be afraid. Why not? This is really crucial and this is really important. Why not? Because I'm your shield. God was going to be Abram's protector. And if you read more of Genesis, you're going to see that actually Abram really struggles at times to rely on God to be his shield. That's one of the things about the Bible that can be so helpful to us is that they're regular people that wrestle with regular things like you and I do. And God tells them, fear not, because I'm going to be your shield. And you think Abraham would just say, okay, all right, let's just do this thing then. But we're going to see over and over again, he's going to struggle with that. He's going to struggle with trying to come up with ways to protect himself. Twice, he tells people that his wife really isn't his wife because he's afraid he's going to get killed because she's so beautiful. Twice he does that. God's his shield? Well, okay, you're my shield, but I think I better figure this out. <laughs> He's going to struggle with this whole idea that God is going to be his protector. 
He often took matters into his own hands, and he tries to solve them with his own human solutions. And like you and I, it usually makes things even worse and makes things even more of a mess. Listen, I like to be really real when I'm preaching, and I think it's real to say that trusting God to be our shield can be really hard sometimes. It's hard. It's hard because we think we know what is best for us. We think we've got it figured out, and I think this is the best way. And to trust God to be my shield when I think I want to do it like this. We think that we have our best interest in mind, and maybe God doesn't. Have you ever felt that way? And sometimes we feel that way, and we feel like we can't really talk about it in church, but sometimes we feel that way. I'm not sure that God has my best interest in mind, because what I'm going through right now is really, really hard. If he had my best interest in mind, why would he allow me to go through such a hard thing? And then when we're going through those things, we struggle with trusting the goodness of God sometimes. Is God really good? If he's really good, why would he allow me to go through this? Or sometimes we feel that God has let us down, so he's let me down before, so I've got to take control of this. I've got to grab onto it. Instead of being able to say, okay, I'm going to trust that you're going to be my shield. You're going to be my protector. You're going to be the one that that watches over me instead of me trying to figure out a way to make this thing happen in such a way that's good for me. I think it's an honest thing to say that sometimes we have a hard time trusting that God is going to be our shield. And I just want to invite you as you see this unfold today that really the only place we have to go for a shield that can really protect us is through God. And what's really interesting, he says, fear not, Abraham, I'm going to be your shield And also then, as your shield, your reward is going to be great. You're going to get a reward for letting me be your shield. There actually is a reward in this. And the reward for Abraham, it's going to be very great, it says. Your reward, I'm going to be your shield, and your reward is going to be very great. Yet the beauty of Abraham's story is that while he's going to struggle to do his part, and, and if you don't hear anything else today, I pray that you'll hear this part. While Abram's going to struggle to do his part, God is never going to struggle to do his part. God is going to always do his part. God is going to continue to be Abram's shield even when Abram tries to get out from under the shield. You see, the reward for Abraham is this, that God is a beautiful God who keeps his promises. And while Abram's going to struggle to do his part, God is never going to struggle to do his part. And this is true in your life and mine as well. As you and I struggle to do our part, as we struggle to walk in obedience, as we struggle to walk by faith, God never struggles to do his part. I can tell you now from just years of walking with Jesus, when I have struggled, God doesn't struggle. When I have faltered, God has never faltered. God is the shield. God is the great reward. God is the one who will do the work I have to walk by faith and rest in him. And then it goes on to say this in verse 2, but Abraham, but Abraham now, he's going, okay, all right, I hear you. You're going you're gonna to be my, my shield and my great reward. You have told me in the past that I'm going to become a great nation. I'm going to bless the world. But I got this one problem. And here it is, a real person, real time in history, real issue. Abraham says, oh, Lord God, Verse 2, what will you give me for I continue childless? How can I become a great nation if I don't have a child? 
who can have more children and have more children, and the generations keep going. The heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you, you, and he's talking to God now, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. I heard what you said, but here's the problem. And he points out the problem with God's plan. <laughs> and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said this, This man shall not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. Abram asks this honest question, how can this all happen since he's childless? And he looks around, and we do this too, right? He looks around at his current circumstance, and he can't see how this is going to work out. You ever been there? Don't raise your hand, because <laughs> we probably have to raise them multiple times, right? Where I've looked around at my circumstances, and I cannot see how God is going to work this out. And so often then I try to work it out myself, I try to do something to make it work the way that I want it to work. But Abram looks around, and Abram's actually going to do that eventually. Abram looks around his current circumstance. He can't see how it's all going to work out. And he's asking God, I just don't see how this is going to happen. Not much different than us. Sometimes feeling overwhelmed and looking at our situation, and it seems so daunting. We can't see how things are going to work out. And we're tempted to think that if I grab a hold of it, I'll make it work out the right way. Now, I want you to see this, though. This is really important, and this is one of the themes I, I hope that you'll wrestle with. And, and I think for many of us, we've been there. Maybe you're there right now, particularly if you're a student. Sometimes at your stage of the journey, this can be a really powerful place of, I'm not really sure what's going to happen in my future. I can't really see where it's all going. It makes me anxious and nervous. It happens to all of us, but often, especially at that stage in our journey. I want you to see this. God does not solve the problem. He doesn't solve it. He just makes a promise. He doesn't say, well, here's your child. It says, the man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So why not just give it to him right then? Let's solve it. Let's, Abraham, just, okay, here's your son. Problem solved. Do you know how long it will be before God solves the problem? 20 years later, Abram's going to have a son. 20 years later. Are you ready for that? Ready to trust for 20 years in a promise? See, the promises of God are not things to be manipulated or demanded by us. They're made by God, and they're fulfilled on his timing. And sometimes, like Abram, we have to wait. And we have to wait in faith that God keeps his promises. Back in the day, um, one of the harder things I had ever gone through in my 20s was I had been engaged to be married, and my fiancé had broken up with me, and so I went through a broken engagement. And it was very, very difficult, and it's probably the most challenging thing I had faced up to that point in my life. And I was a youth pastor at the time, and my pastor gave me this book, and I recommend it to you. It's called Waiting, Finding Hope When God Seems Silent. And the author, his name is Ben Patterson. And in that book, Ben Patterson talks about Job, and he talks about Abram and Sarah. And the point of Abram and Sarah was that God made a promise, and 20 years later, God answered that promise. But here is the punchline of the book that has stuck with me for all these years, and, and I pray that you will use it in your journey as well. What is more important than what we're waiting for 
is what we learn while we wait. See, we think it's about what we're waiting for. Abram's saying it's about a son. I've got to have a son. I can't do this. That promise can't happen without a son. And God's saying to Abram, I've got a lot to teach you in the next 20 years about trusting me and trusting my promises. Now, I've got to tell you, I don't like that sometimes. I, I, what's more important than what I wait for is what I learn while I wait? Oh, come on. I want the end result. We live in a world, throw it in the microwave, I get the end result. God wants to work on changing and transforming you and I. He's transforming Abram, and he says, Abram, you're not ready for me to fulfill that promise yet. So you're going to have to be patient and wait and learn some things while you wait. As we know, if you read through Genesis this week or if you have in the past, you'll find out that Abram can't do it. He can't wait. So he takes matters into his own hands, and we still see some of the result of that still in our world today what had happened when he took matters into his own hands and all of what came from that. But God makes a promise, but he doesn't solve the issue yet. And then he brings him outside, and he says in verse 5, look toward the heaven, the numbers of the stars, if you're able to number them, and we know today we can't number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. A promise, just another promise. God made a promise. He makes a covenant with Abram. His offspring will be too large to count. Abram's still looking. I still got this problem. I have no children. But you're telling me my offspring will be too large to count. And then this is what verse 6, and this is, the, this is the punchline of this passage. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram responded by believing. He responded by having faith and God counted it to him as righteousness. Here's the thing. Abram in the Old Testament was saved by faith. He was saved by faith in that God was going to keep his promises. Faith in something in the future. He believed and trusted that the Lord who made a promise was going to keep it. He didn't understand all of what it would look like. But Abram saved by faith. He has faith, and God gives him righteousness. How we're saved is by having the righteousness of God, and he gives him righteousness. In the Old Testament, by faith. Now fast forward to the New Testament, and we see that all over the place, but here's a couple of places. Just like we just see it here in, in, in Genesis 15 in Ephesians 2, for by grace you've been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Galatians, the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 3.8, and the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. There it is. God is preaching the gospel to Abraham through making a covenant with him, and he was showing him that he would be saved by faith and all the nations of the world would be, would be blessed by that and would have opportunity to be saved by faith. And it says, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abram, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Galatians is pointing back to this very passage we're just looking at. How about Romans 9.30? What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. So what he's saying is, Paul is saying now, okay, all the way up here in the New Testament now, this this promise is being fulfilled because the gospel has now moved past just the Jewish nation, just the people of Israel. Now Gentiles are coming to faith. 
and they are receiving a righteousness just like Abraham received a righteousness that comes by faith. So when you see Genesis 15 and you see Abraham receiving a righteousness by faith, we should be going, hey, that's me too. Me and Abraham, both receiving a righteousness that comes by faith. Abraham and something that was to come, for me, something that is behind me, something that happened. And then he says this in verse 7, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But here he goes again. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I will shall possess it? He's asking these honest questions that he's wrestling with. And he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these and cut them in half and laid each of them over against the other, but he didn't cut the birds in half. And the birds of prey came down and Abram kind of kept brushing them away and chasing them away. What's happening here now is that God is about to ratify or to seal the deal as we might say, through the covenant ceremony, which requires the sacrifice of animals. So God is going to ratify this covenant, this promise that he made. We might call it a handshake or maybe a signature or whatever it is that we use today to kind of seal the deal, to ratify a promise or an agreement that two people are making. And God is about to do that. And what's going to happen in the next passage, and it will be on the screen behind me, I think, that verses 12 through the end of the chapter. But what's going to happen is that God is going to ratify this. And, and I, I'm just going to point out a couple of key pieces that are really important. Abram's going to fall asleep into a deep sleep, and a dreadful darkness will fall upon him. It's a really crazy thing to think about this. God's essentially saying, Abraham, you don't have to do anything in this. I'm going to do it all. You just go sleep over here and stay out of the way. He falls into this dreadful, dark sleep, and the Lord ratifies the covenant. And this was really powerful for me this week, and I've known this before, but just wrestling with this text, I just find it so powerful, and I want to try to explain it to you well, so I'm moving this out of the way. So this is what happens, and I want you to see this picture because it's crucial in us understanding what Jesus has done for us. So this is how the ratifying of a covenant in that culture and at that time would happen. The greater and the lesser. Let's think of it like that. The greater and the lesser. Maybe it's two kings, and one is greater and more powerful, and one is lesser. And they're going to enter into an agreement. Instead of having war where I just come and destroy you, here's what we're going to do. We're going to enter into a covenant or a promise. And it could have been a landowner. It could have been a business lender. Anything with a greater and a lesser. Okay, And the greater says, all right, I'll treat you this way. I won't come and conquer you. I won't throw you in jail. I won't do any of these things if you fulfill your part. The lesser actually is agreeing by the tearing apart of these animals that the lesser is the one who's supposed to walk through this when they make this promise. And the greater will say, and if you don't keep your part of the bargain, the tearing apart of these animals is what's going to happen to you. Okay? So the lesser walks through humbly. The lesser doesn't have power. The lesser is at the mercy of the greater. And the lesser says, all right, I'm going to make an agreement with you. I'm going to give you 20% of whatever it is that we own, or I'm going to serve you in this way. I'm going to do this or that. The lesser humbly walks through and, and says, and if I don't, then this is what's going to happen to me. 
And the greater has nothing to give up because the greater is the greater and the stronger. And the greater says, if you don't keep your end of the bargain, this is what's going to happen to you. Okay, Does that, do you see that picture? Okay, now that picture is so important because here's what happens. The greater walks through and says to the lesser, says to the lesser, you're not going to be able to keep it. You're not going to be able to do it. So I'm making a promise and a commitment to you that when you fail, because you're not going to be able to keep the commitment and the bargain and the covenant and the promise, but I will. And I will take all of it on me. So when the lesser is supposed to walk through and say, I'll be torn apart, I'll face this, the greater God walks through and says, I'll take it. You're going to fail. I will take the being torn apart. I will take the affliction that comes from this promise. I will be the one that will receive the tearing apart like those animals. Where have we seen this before? Humans who fail and can't keep their end of the bargain. And God taking the brunt of the consequences. God taking the brunt for us not being able to fulfill the covenant. For us not being able to walk in obedience. You see, the beautiful part of this piece of the story is that Jesus, it gives us a foreshadowing, a picture of Jesus. God is saying, listen, I want to make this covenant with you, and I already know. I already know because of sin in the world and sin in your heart, you're not going to be able to keep it. So Abram, I'm going to walk through the middle of this while you're sleeping over here because I'm going to do all of it. I'm going to make that covenant, and I'm going to do all of it. You see, Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the promised covenant. He's going to be born as an offspring of the descendant of Abram. Listen to Genesis, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. You're reading through the Old Testament, reading through it, reading through it. You turn the page, and this is what you read. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Right there in the New Testament, we get the first picture. The offspring is the descendant of Abram. But here's the thing. He's going to, be per- he's going to perfectly fulfill the human side of the covenant. Abram's part. Abram's part that he can't do and the rest of us can't do. Jesus is going to perfectly and in perfect righteousness by perfect faith, he's going to live out the human side of the covenant. And he's going to do so perfectly. But then he's going to fulfill God's side of the covenant as well. He's going to fulfill what the human side of the covenant was supposed to be. And then he's going to fulfill God's side of the covenant by being holy and perfect and just, yet torn apart, sacrificed, and dying in order for God to fulfill his part of the covenant. This is the beautiful picture. He's going to be torn apart. He's going to be sacrificed. He's going to die in order that he can fulfill what God said he would do by walking through the middle during that covenant scene in Genesis 15. You see, God keeps his promises by blessing the whole world through a descendant of Abram, even when Abram falls and stumbles and can't do his part. God says, I'll pay the price. I'll keep my promise. I'll bless the whole world through your descendants. 
but it's going to be Jesus, the Messiah. See, the good news today is God keeps his promises. God keeps his covenant. Through the offspring of Abraham, the Messiah was born, and the whole world is blessed by the gracious offer of salvation. Hear me this morning, the whole world, you are being offered the gracious offering of salvation this morning. That a righteousness can be obtained, not by your own righteousness, but through the righteousness of Jesus. And here's the whole thing of what we're trying to get at in this series. It's a righteousness that is through faith from first to last. From Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. A righteousness being provided to you and I by Jesus. And it all starts even back in Genesis where God foreshadows, talks about, makes this picture of the coming Messiah and what he was going to do in order to deliver us. It's a beautiful picture, I think. And sometimes I think, okay, I'll walk through between those sacrifices and I'll do my best. And just like Abraham, oops, <laughs> here I am. How did I get over here again? And I'm so grateful that it was Jesus that walked through. And Jesus said, I'll do your part by living the way that you were supposed to live and be a blessing to the world and live rightly. But then I'm also going to do God's part, the part that's supposed to happen to you, I'll be willing to be torn apart and to suffer and to die. That's really what Genesis 12 and 15 is pointing us to, pointing us to Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. A couple of things I'd like to just close with. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're visiting us today and this is just not a place that you have ever come to where you've put your faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to do that today. Don't be the one that walks through on your own because you're going to have to pay a price. Jesus will pay the price. And for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, as you think about those torn apart carcasses and his willingness to walk through and face what he faced for us, this is a time for us to worship him and praise him and think about what he's done and just rejoice in that and desire to be obedient to him and to walk by faith when things are troubled and we can't figure them out and we are looking for that shield to go to him for the shield and to do it by faith. And I want to invite you, maybe you're at a place today where you are waiting and you are trying to trust in God and, and some things are really, really hard and you don't know what to do with them. I want you to remember that he will keep his promises to you. And, and I also want you to know that the body of Christ, myself and others here, we want to come alongside you and walk with you through that. When I went through that most difficult time of my life at that time, there was one man that walked with me. He was my poor pastor because I was a youth pastor, so I saw him every day. Every day I would go into his office and take a good hour of his time. And every day he said to me, it's going to be okay. It's going to get better. It's going to get better. I didn't walk through that alone. I walked through it with the power of God's help and through the body of Christ. Maybe you're at a place right now where you're struggling and you're trying to trust Hear me, God will keep his promises, but he'll use us to come alongside and help and encourage you. We need to know it, so just reach out. Let us know. Let somebody know that cares about you or come talk to me afterwards. We want to walk with you through this. There's great news this morning. Even back in Genesis, God makes promises and God keeps them. And guess what? We got to see him keep it, and we saw it in Jesus. And I can bear testimony that he's kept promises in my life. Many of us can bear testimonies to the promises that he's kept. 
The greatest promise is, though, that when I come to him by faith, he gives me a righteousness that is greater than any righteousness I could ever earn on my own, the righteousness of Jesus. And so I can stand before God, one with the righteousness of Jesus. That's good news today. I'm going to invite you to take a moment where you just bow your heads, and would you listen to what the Lord might be saying to you as we come to a time of worship?